This is episode number six of the Founder Podcast. What you need is thirst. You need to be a thirsty human. Who is intent on learning. It's a really fascinating, fascinating exploration of human potential. Now. Now. now, the Founder Podcast. Even the greatest entrepreneurs had help. If you want to learn from the most successful founders on the planet, you are in the right place. Branson, Mark Cuban, Tony Robbins, Tim Ferriss, Ariana Huffington, Ghost, Steve Case, Gary V, Sophia Amoroso, Robert Corcoran, Damon John. Learn from the greatest minds in business today with interviews hosted by Nathan Chan. This is not your average entrepreneur podcast. The Founder Podcast. Hey guys, thank you so much for tuning in. Before we start today's episode, I just want to let you know that our goal at Founder is to help entrepreneurs succeed however we can by giving away high quality content in the form of interviews, blog posts, podcasts, YouTube videos, you name it. We put out so much content to help you. And another interesting project that we're working on right now is partnering with world-class founders like Damon John, Alexa Von Tobel, Greta Van Riel, and so many more to teach crucial skills like negotiation, finance, e-commerce, and so much more. So if you'd like to get access to these free trainings with founders like this, which is 100% free, just go to founder.com forward slash free. Okay, so now let's talk about today's episode. Hello, everyone. This is Nathan Chan from the Founder Podcast. Thanks for joining me today. So uh, today's guest is Ari Misal, and this guy is an absolute weapon. Like, it's just crazy how insanely productive this guy is. If you want to talk about systems, this guy has some of the most next-level systems in place that I've ever heard of. And he's a solopreneur. It's unbelievable how much this guy is achieving in such little amount of time. Very interesting character. He uh, cured himself of Crohn's disease. He's really into his health and his fitness. Yeah, look, this is a really, really interesting episode. You're guaranteed to learn a lot. Everything will be in the show notes. Uh, All the resources, cool tools that we speak of. And to find those... Simply visit www.foundermag.com forward slash podcast. That's foundermag.com forward slash podcast. And that's enough for me. Let's jump in. Today I have the pleasure of speaking with Ari Misel. He's the co-founder at Less Doing, where he works on making every task in his life and business more efficient. He used self-tracking to overcome Crohn's disease and has competed in Ironman France. Thank you for coming on board, Ari. It's it's an absolute pleasure to have you, man. Thank you for having me, Nathan. No worries. So, would you be able to give us just a quick rundown on your your life as an entrepreneur and and your diagnosis with Crohn's disease and and your time management background and and how you got into into essentially yeah hacking time? I became an entrepreneur when I was twelve, and I started in website design, and then I started a couple other tech companies before uh, I got out of high school. After I went to college, I sort of accidentally started working in real estate development and got these old buildings in upstate New York that looked like there were these cigar warehouses from the 1880s. And I had this vision that I could create lofts there. And basically the deal was that anybody that worked on the project had to teach me their trade. So I spent the next 
three years of my life learning and doing every construction trade there is. And I really learned not only the construction trade, but really hardcore project management and time management because I was literally working on the job and dealing with paperwork and dealing with possible buyers of these lofts and politics and all sorts of local issues. So I was really playing both ends of that. After that, I came back down to New York and I was working in real estate development in the Hamptons, the Mm -hmm. eastern end of Long Island. And along the way, the architect suggested that we might want to consider making the project green or sustainable, which was, you know, seven years ago was sort of just becoming a thing. So Mm -hmm. I found out about LEED, Leadership in Energy and Environmental Design, and became certified or accredited professional. And then I started to come across all these really cool building materials that were sort of tickling my technology antenna that I, that I still had. So I started blogging about these really cool materials and accidentally, again, became an expert in green building materials and wrote a book on it and then started doing consulting. And basically for the last 10 years, I've been a real estate developer focused on green building and I've been a consultant. But then seven years ago, I was diagnosed with Crohn's disease, which is a horribly painful chronic inflammation of the digestive tract and it's generally considered to be incurable and they just throw whatever medicines they can at it to try to get something to work. I was pretty sick. I was taking about 16 pills a day and some really hardcore medications that were that definitely did some good but they had all sorts of horrible side effects and after one particularly bad night in the hospital I decided that I had to do something for myself so I went on this long process a journey of self-tracking and self-exploration and in three months, I was off my medicine. And then about three months after that, I competed in my first triathlon. Went on after that to do my TEDx talk on having overcome this incurable illness. And then a year after that, went to Ironman France. Basically, along the way, I realized that there was about 80% that I'd figured out. I'd figured out the supplements and the nutrition and the diet aspects. And I'm sorry, the fitness. But I realized that there was still this large component that was related to stress. So mm-hmm. not only was there stress in my my life and my illness, but lots of people's lives and, and their chronic conditions as well. So I wanted to figure out a way to systematically help people deal with stress. And the best thing I could come up with was to help people save time. So The Art of Less Doing was born of this desire to help people free up as much time as they could possibly free up in order to reclaim their own minds and do the things that they want to do. And that has since developed into a real framework for more productivity. So I basically have been helping people optimize, automate, and outsource everything in their lives in order to be more effective at everything. And I bring wellness into a component of that. So I've helped people with biohacking and overcoming chronic illness and dealing with sleep deficits and you name it, just to make them, as well as their teams and their companies, as productive and effective as possible. Wow. You have a very interesting story. And uh, what actually brought me to your story was I'm actually doing your, your course on Udemy, The Art of Less Doing. And, oh, thank you. And, yeah, it's, it's a really, really interesting course. I'm only about, I think, about an hour's worth in. But anybody listening, I, I highly recommend that you, you check it out and there will be a link to it in the magazine. Yeah, that, that's originally how, how I found you. And then I, I read about your story and I watched your TED video and I was like, wow, I've got to speak to this guy. He, he, he's very interesting. Thank you very much. So 
I just wanted to, to first touch on, you talked about starting your three technology companies before high school. So, so how old were you, like 12, 13? I started the first time, the website design company when I was 12. And then at 16, I started a company called Menus to Go, which was sort of a precursor to menu pages. And then the year after that, I, I started a company called Tech, which was basically technology installations and consulting. So I was doing wow. home theaters and computer systems and all sorts of fun stuff. I was having a blast. <laughs> well, wow. and, and do you still run any of these companies or are they still around? So the, those three, I sort of folded up. I mean, I, I still do some of that stuff from time to time just for, for fun, for different people. But it's so easy to outsource a lot of that stuff as it is. But for instance, I mean, I just built this house and we, I did all the, the planning for the, all the technology and all the low voltage stuff. So it's still oh, part cool. of me. But there's a scalability issue there that I've sort of dealt with with the other companies, not to mention the fact that in addition to running my two lives as a real estate developer and a productivity consultant. I'm also a, a husband and a father of three. So there, there is a limit at some point. Yeah, that, that's, that's the thing. As somebody that, you know, is a productivity guru, in my opinion, can you run us through your day? What, what does a, a productive day look like in your life, Ari? Can you tell us, can you give us some of your processes? Sure. So my goal with everything I do, and honestly, pretty much every decision I make is based on how much time it's going to require me to spend away from my kids and my wife. And, you know, whether I make that into an unhealthy obsession or not, that's for someone else to judge. But basically, <laughs> if I'm deciding if I'm going to take on a new client or I'm going to travel somewhere to do a speaking engagement or I'm going to do some other project, the very first thing that comes to my mind is how much time do I have to spend away from the kids and, and, and Anna. And that's been really good. That's been a really good compass for me in terms of how I make my decisions because a lot of times you don't really know what your driver is but I fortunately do which is great so typical day is we're usually up around 5 five thirty, and my son Ben who's 19 months old is very active and amazing and climbs everything and <laughs> you know like, likes to do everything and then we have we have two twins who are 13 weeks old so Basically, we sort of do this little juggling act where each one of you know one of us has a baby and Ben, and then the other one has a baby, and then we sort of switch around for a, a couple hours. And during that time in the morning, I'm actually getting a lot of work done because I've enabled myself to do almost everything I need to do from my iPhone. So wow. I can check in with project managers on different projects. You know, my, the the headset for the iPhone is my best friend, basically. So I can have my hands free. I can talk to you know a contractor on a job site. I honestly don't care if they hear a kid in the background. It doesn't make a difference to me or to them. Mm. So I can I can check in on those projects. I can deal with all my emails very easily. I can outsource things for the day. I can send things off to virtual assistants or whoever needs to deal with various things. And I, basically, the whole morning is spent with the family, as well as sort of ping-ponging all of the other stuff for the day. And then around 10 or so, I'd say all, all three kids are taking their, their nap, and the twins are taking their first nap for the day. Yeah. Then, then my wife and I will eat lunch together, which is usually, you know, we eat pretty early because we get up early. So we'll eat, we always eat at home. We eat every meal at home. So wow. we, we'll, we'll have lunch together, then go right back to the grind. You know, the kids wake up. And we're, we're with them. I'm on the phone. And then, I'll, you know, I'll have my meetings that I have to have in the afternoon. So 
I try not to have more than three or four meetings a day, yep. and that, that works very well. And then, again, it's more kid time, more family time. A lot of people think this sounds weird, but I can do something on my iPhone for a couple of minutes, and that doesn't detract from me you know, being at the park with my son, for instance, because I can get things done very quickly. And then at the end of the day, they're you know, go to sleep, and we have dinner, and then you know, work for a few more hours, and at some point go to bed. It's definitely crazy, but it's also kind of a wild ride. Wow. And with the iPhone thing, one of the tools that you recommend, you, you'll be very happy that this tool actually went to iPhone, and it's called IFTTT, if this, then that. So are you using that on the iPhone? I'm funny like this. So, so I, I am one of the biggest and most vocal fans of IFTTT there is. And I actually have 77 currently active IFTTT recipes that are running yes. and that help me be more effective. And a lot of times I'll do something and seven other things will happen because of IFTTT. Can we just give a quick rundown of IFTTT before, before yes, we go into of it? Course. Of course. So IFTTT stands for if this, then that. And it's a it's just an automation platform that creates triggers and actions between various web services. So, for instance, if I like this video on YouTube, then save it to Evernote. Or if I, if I get a new email in Gmail that matches this particular search stream, then put this notification on Twitter or send me a text message or whatever it might be. So there's about 70 services that they use, and you create these recipes. If this happens here, do this here. So, for example... One of my, what I would consider my jobs is I've become this sort of curator of content and I provide people with what I think are the best stories of the week in terms of wellness and productivity. And I'm able to process about a thousand or more blog posts per day thanks to IFTTT because I'll read through them in Feedly. And if I save something in Feedly, then it automatically will put it on Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, Zootool, Delicious, and add it to Evernote and all sorts of other stuff happens. And based on that information... My virtual assistants are able to automatically create, without any input from me on that itself, they can create my Friday, you know, interesting thing of the week posts. So it's just, I've enabled a lot of these automations. And as I said in the beginning, I help people optimize, automate, and outsource everything in their lives. And that order is very important. You have to optimize first and get it down to its bare bones. And then you can try to automate. And a lot of times, that's it. You can finish with automation, but sometimes you really do need a person, and that's where we get to outsourcing. But to answer your question, I do not use the IFTTT iPhone app because of a couple reasons, one of which is part of less doing, which you'll get to through the course, is my organization fundamental. And my concept for organization is really about setting limits. You set a limit, and then you kind of work backwards to find the solutions to make that limit possible. And a lot of times that limit has to be artificially restrictive, right? So in my case, I only allow myself to have enough iPhone apps to fill up four folders that are on my home screen. So I don't have pages and pages and pages of, of, of apps. If I want to download a wow. new app, I have to delete a different one. Well, wow, so, so you've got a Zen-like iPhone. Exactly. And one of the ways that I've been able to achieve that is that a lot of these web services have very, very good web apps that simply require, you know, a mobile bookmark. And IFTTT is one of those. So there are functionalities that the native app will give you, but I don't specifically need those. And so I I don't have the app installed. I definitely downloaded and tried it out, but I usually just access the web app. Ah, I see. That's that's very interesting um, about the old iPhone piece. Because, yeah, I'm, I'm guilty of having, you know, as many apps as you could ever imagine on my iPhone. And people look at my iPhone and they're just like, do you actually even use any of these or even some of them? 
And I'm like, yeah, I, I try and use as many as I can because, yeah, there's so many cool things on your iPhone, like apps in, in terms of apps, right? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, the, the, the iPhone has been, you know, the thing that has made it so that I can do a lot of what I do. But I use every app that's on my iPhone every day. I see. Let's delve deep into the into the productivity piece because this is something, this is where I think in terms of value for the magazine, you can really, really add for our readers. So can you give us your, your top three tips for productivity hacking? Sure. So I think that everybody, regardless of what your situation is or what you do or if you're a student or it doesn't matter, should work with a virtual assistant at some point in their lives without without fail because you can do it very cheaply nowadays too, thanks to globalization and all sorts of different services. And working with a virtual assistant is a learning process for everybody in terms of how to be more efficient or how to efficiently delegate a task rather. Because if you have to tell someone how to do something that you've never met, probably will never meet, and may only speak to once if it's a dedicated or an on-demand service, that's a really interesting parameter to put on yourself in terms of describing a possibly important task. The second thing is start using Evernote and start overusing Evernote because Evernote needs to become your external brain. If you have an idea in your head, you need to get it out of your head and you have to get it into a place that is searchable and safe and archived because we waste way too much of our resources trying to hold on to ideas and figure them out in the moment when it's really not the right time and we don't have the bandwidth for it. And honestly, you don't have to know if it's a relevant idea or if it will ever be relevant. The point is you have the idea, get it on somewhere and then you can recall it later if you need to. And then the third thing is a service called followup.cc, which I cannot recommend highly enough. Followup.cc is an email automation follow-up service that basically makes it from any platform that you can never have to worry about following up on an email again. And the way it works very simply is from any platform, you send an email to whoever you want, and then you can BCC, for instance, three days at followup.cc or... 2 p.m. at followup.cc or one week at followup.cc, any time period you want at followup.cc. And when that time comes, it will bring that email back to your inbox with a snooze functionality. So you can decide at that moment, did I deal with this already? Do I need to put this off a little bit longer to a better time or what have you? But you don't ever have to worry again, did I get back to that person? Did they get back to me? It's one of the most stressful aspects of email that keeps people filling up their inboxes. No, that's a good point. And yeah, look, I have started trying follow-up CC. I haven't got into the habit of, of using it yet because it, it, you do mention it early on in your course. And I was wondering, just actually this is just for my, my own personal question, how would you recommend making sure that you're always using follow-up CC? Well, just start using it <laughs> and seeing, <laughs> seeing. I mean, honestly, I'm a big fan of kind of moving the needle just a little bit. Basically, progress begets progress. So if you start to use it and you see how great it is, then you'll use it more. But you can use it not only for following up with other people, but you can use it for reminders for yourself. You can also use it for, for teams that you check in with regularly. So if you BCC that address, then you get the reminder. If you CC it, then you both get the reminder, which is really useful in certain situations. And if you just send it right to followup.cc, you get a reminder at that time. I see. So tell us about your inbox. Is it, is it always empty? Yes. So basically, I have a 10 email limit for my inbox. I will never wow. have more than 10 emails in my inbox. And that's a rule that I have. And it's taken me a while to get there and figure that out. But I did. And 
that's through a process of you know different apps and different autoresponders and different filters and virtual assistants, and it's a complicated system. But yes, I never. I mean, basically, uh, right now I have two emails in my inbox, and if I wasn't paying attention to this interview, I would, you know I could probably get them done in the next few minutes. <laughs> Jesus Christ! So, having all these systems in place, do you, do you ever feel overwhelmed? No, no, I never feel overwhelmed ever, and the reason is. I can't. Having had a chronic illness that was definitely almost directly related to stress, I cannot allow myself to feel that feeling. So I will do whatever I can to not feel that. And when you have three kids running around or three kids, you don't get the opportunity, <laughs> honestly. You don't have a, you don't have a, you know, the minute you start to feel tired or you feel like, you know, you, whatever, somebody needs something. And honestly, I, I, it's been a good thing. It keeps me like, yeah, it seems silly to say that because I'm 30 years old, but I feel like it keeps me young. Some of these systems and, and the automation that you have in your life is, is so impressive, man. And I, I, me, myself personally, I'm going to, yeah, I'm going to finish off your course because, you know, I paid for it. And not only that, but I think there, there's a lot of value in, in automating and, and doing the stuff you're doing. It's amazing how much you're achieving. You know, it's fascinating. It's fascinating stuff. So let's switch gears and talk about the Crohn's disease. So how long ago were you diagnosed with this? And how, and how long were you, did you suffer with it? Because it's considered an, an incurable disease. And one of my good friends, Lucy, that I, that I work with, I, I told her about your story. And, and she actually reached out to you and she sent you, you an email and, and stuff like that because she suffers from Crohn's disease as well. Did I get back to her? Because I don't remember that. <laughs> you did. You did actually. Oh, good. Okay. Good. And um, yeah, she was really happy to hear from you. And yeah, we were both talking about you the other day. And it sounds like a very, very tough thing to, to handle. And I don't know how long personally Lucy has had it, but she has to go to the hospital quite often and, and do all sorts of things to, to manage it. And when you were diagnosed and, and when you were suffering from it, did you just straight away go, okay, well, because you would have done a lot of, a lot of testing, right, and a lot of measuring and learning. When you, when you were diagnosed with it, one, how long did it take you to overcome with it? And second, during that period, how did you cope? I'd like to, um, to know that because I, I just know it would be very, very frustrating. Yeah, so... I was diagnosed seven years ago. I was 23 years old. It, one, one of the biggest issues with Crohn's is that it's a young person's disease. And in retrospect, I've been having problems since I was 14. It's also a very embarrassing disease because you're talking about like having to go to the bathroom a lot more than you should and you know, losing weight because you can't absorb nutrients. You know, it's, it's, it's very tough. It's very, very, very tough. And yeah. mentally, it's very tough. Yeah, I know. So you don't know what to do. And every time you go to the doctor, they're telling you, you have to take more medicine and more medicine. And you just say, okay, because, you know, you feel like you're going to die and you're young and you don't know what, you know, it's like you just don't know what to do. Mm. So, but you, eventually I hit this precipice where it was like, I'm, I'm going to die and I have to do something. So I had had all this data. You know, I've been getting blood tests like every five weeks. And I started to analyze the data a little bit and just see, I don't, I don't know what I was thinking. I just thought maybe I'd see if there were some correlations or things. So I started to notice some patterns and then I started to experiment with certain supplements and see how those change things and I mapped those values. But then I, then I went a little nuts and I started, I started testing and tracking everything, you know, from the, the basic stuff like body fat and weight to blood testing to saliva to semen analysis, like you name it. If the test existed, I would do it. 
And so just because I'm not a data scientist and I didn't know what I was looking for, but I figured if I got enough data, something was going to pop. And eventually I found things that worked and I started to feel better. And I started to, you know, figure out how to manage stress with less doing. And I was doing yoga and basically just tracking everything and just trying to see what made that difference. So fortunately, I've been able to boil that down and replicate it in almost a dozen people at this point. Wow. And it's a very, very fascinating story, man. And I know that at, at an age of 23, what I really want to understand is having the doctor telling you that this is an incurable disease, how did you just, I guess, say, I'm going to do something about this? Yes, this is what I have, but I want to change things. How did you know that, that things were going to get better? That's what I really want to understand because for me personally, if I was, I was told something like that, I don't know, I would deal with it, but I, I wouldn't. You've challenged the status quo, if you know what I mean. So I want to really understand what triggered you to want to, is it something that you've always had or if you've, you've been brought up naturally that you don't accept the status quo or, or is it just like did you, did, you, did you do some research and you found some research saying that these are some things that you can do to, to overcome this or, or what was it? I don't really know. I think that it was like I was going to, I really felt that I was going to die. I was at the beginning of this really amazing relationship with the woman who's my wife now, and I didn't want to lose that. And I just, it was, I, I just had to do something. So it was like it couldn't get worse, basically. And yes, every time I went to the doctor and I was told I had to take more medicine, I would get pretty depressed. I was taking, you know, all sorts of medicines that were messing with my hormones and steroids that were just making me into a maniac. So, it's hard to even know if what you're feeling is real to begin with. So I just started trying things. I ju- that was it. I just started trying things because I, was, I figured I had nothing to lose. And it was, it was a balancing act between the side effects that I was getting from the medicine and the new things that I was trying and whether or not they worked or not. And I want to make it very clear that I'm not against the medical establishment at all. My doctor is amazing and was amazing. And, you know, there's just so much that can be done with the medicine that is there now. And the fact that Crohn's is not particularly well understood. But there is a seems to be sort of a general lack of knowledge and understanding about nutrition in chronic illnesses. Once you start digging, it's like a very deep rabbit hole. You know, as soon as you start looking for something, especially on the internet, you start to find all sorts of people who've done things and figured out things. And, you know, when you're desperate enough, they all sort of make sense. Fortunately, in this case, I was able to discern, you know, the good from the bad because there are some pretty hokey treatments out there for things like that. I can imagine. I can imagine. You know, people will probably be trying to sell you snake oil. Yes, of course. And you know what I'd say, honestly, now that I'm sort of clarifying this since you asked me, I don't think that I ever was intending to cure myself. I think I was just trying to feel better and get some control. Ah, I see. You mentioned briefly that you're helping others. So so you've had people reach out to you and and you've actually been able to help others with the illness? Oh, yeah. So, I mean, part of what's doing is that I do a lot of one-on-one coaching with people and Either they'll come to me with a chronic illness or something that we need to help fix, or they'll come to me with a productivity issue, but then they're sort of being held back by something that's going on with them physically. So they really do go hand in hand. Yeah, so I, I've replicated these results now with some, some pretty serious Crohn's cases and other illnesses, actually, because Crohn's is an inflammatory condition. You know, so there's other illnesses that have to do with inflammation, 
And I have helped people with things like diabetes and rheumatoid arthritis and other inflammatory conditions. Wow, so you're like a modern-day doctor. Well, <laughs> I, yeah, I, I try. I, you know, I, I, I try. That must feel amazing to be able to, to help people with overcome these kinds of things and you, you would get to see the end product, like you know how, how they are with their lives and, and being literally be able to make a massive impact on someone's life. That must feel really good, right? It does feel very good. I, you know, it's funny as someone who's been building green, sustainable real estate for years now, and you know, trying to make the world a better place with, in, the, in the face of climate change. This is the first time where I've ever felt like I was helping people. Mm. Yeah, no, and just your take on that for the magazine. I interviewed uh, Srini Rao from Blogcast FM, and he's interviewed over four hundred plus, you know, entrepreneurs, inspiring people, and I said to him. Out of all these people, what's what's a common denominator? What is something that you see that is, is prevalent in absolutely every single one of them that, you know, has taken them to, to where they are in their life today and, and to achieve the things, whatever they have achieved, whatever level? And he said to me, if I were to nail it down to one thing, it would be that every single one of those people, they do have the belief that they want to change the world in some way, shape or form. They want to make the world a better place. And I see those commonalities when I speak to people. Yeah, I can see that in you, and you even described it just then, right? Yeah, absolutely. It's really cool, man. So let's switch gears and talk about the importance of measuring because you, you did it with, with your health, and measuring not only processes for your business and testing and tracking is extremely important, and I'm, I'm just reading The Lean Startup at the moment. I just finished it yesterday, and they talk about the importance of measuring and tracking within your business. I just wanted to hear your take on that. Oh, of course. I mean, if you can measure something, you can optimize it, basically. And there's all these things going on all the time, fortunately, that people are blissfully unaware of, and there are, every one of those is an opportunity to do it better. So, yes, and, and, and the thing is, of course, you can do it in business. You can track sales. You can track calls, and you can do A-B testing of things. But you can also look at the people. You know, you can look at what makes people more productive. And is it having, you know, healthy foods available for people or requiring people to take breaks or letting people work from home? If you focus on making a more productive team, the results really come back to you in, in multiples. Yeah, no, thank you for that because, yeah, it's something that – I'm starting to learn personally firsthand and, and as you know, this is, I'm a fairly junior entrepreneur and, and a lot of people listening and, and reading the magazine are either just starting a business or, or looking to start a business or getting involved in, in entrepreneurship. I think testing and tracking and measuring and learning, it's very, very important because you can learn faster. Yes, of course. I just also wanted to touch on We'll switch back to the Crohn's disease. And, and after overcoming an incurable disease, I just wanted to know, does this make you, you fearless from, from anything else that, that comes your way, health, personal, business challenges? Does, does, that, does that phase you anymore? Or do you feel like you can achieve anything? Like does, does any challenge ever feel or seem impossible to you now? No, absolutely. You, you hit it on the head. It's basically made it so... I've taken don't sweat the small stuff to the absolute extreme. And I used to be like a stressed ball. 
but now I, I would say I'm one of the more mellow people that I know. <laughs> um, nothing bothers me like that anymore. And, you know, medical things or business things, because I know that by getting nervous about it or worried about it, I know at this point that that's just wasting time that I could be using to figure out a solution that is there. Yeah, I can imagine you. It, it's a great outlook to have. And it's not something that you can just turn on. And when you have that, though, it's very powerful. It's been my, my sort of guiding light. Yeah, no, for sure. Would you, would you be able to give us some more tools that you recommend? I know you would have a few. We've talked about follow-up CC, IFTTT. We've talked about also Evernote, which is something that everybody should use. I, I, when, you, when you mentioned Evernote, it reinforced my realize for the need of having an external brain. I was using, using Evernote, but to describe the external brain piece, it makes sense. And, you know, I, I say I say you need to, to others, entrepreneurs and aspiring entrepreneurs and friends, I'm you know, do you use Evernote? You know, anything that goes through your mind, you just need to vomit it out onto something. Because, like you said, I think it was one or two out of those 10 things that you put in there you actually use. The rest of it is rubbish. But can we talk about some other tools that you would recommend? Or, or do, do you like to keep it nice and simple? Well, no, there, yeah, there is just one more, which I, I did touch on before, which is the virtual assistant. Yes, the virtual uh, assistant. You know, so in America, it's – well, actually, I, I recommend Fancy Hands to most people, and Fancy Hands can be used from anywhere in the world. So I would, I would highly recommend everybody try out Fancy Hands. And I, I, I have that linked all over my site because I use them all the time. Okay, that will be in the magazine. Now, um – I wanted to ask you actually about this. You raised a good point. Thank you for that. Um, I looked into Fancy Hands and it's like a paid service, right? Do you find it difficult to train up multiple different virtual assistants or do you have assigned just one? No, so actually I love having multiple because if you can describe a process well, then anybody should be able to do it. So I have this concept called creating the manual of you, which is basically that you go through all these processes on a daily basis or weekly basis, doesn't matter, and they're regular processes, but you just do them because they're in your head and you know how to do them. If you actually stop and think about all the steps that it requires for someone else to do that, it's really interesting what happens. So if it's something as simple as pay this bill, you know, so I could say to somebody, pay this bill, and they have no idea what I'm talking about, even though I know that I have to just go to my banking website and you know, pull it up and pay them. So the first time I looked at that process, it was 27 steps. And after going through it and optimizing it, I got it down to 22. And then after sending it to a virtual assistant, I got it down to 18. And then I automated some stuff, and then I got it back and forth to another virtual assistant. And eventually, now, that process is nine steps. And it's so perfect and so clear-cut that anybody without any previous knowledge or training can do that task. And I've tested this several hundred times at this point. So... If you can describe your tasks well, which is really the goal, then anybody should be able to do them. And with a service like Fancy Hands, where there are literally thousands of assistants at your service, you can get more tasks done during more hours of the day and quicker. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah, that's a good point that you make about Fancy Hands, that you can test your tasks. And yeah, anybody should be able to pick them up if, if they're you know, as simple as possible. Exactly. Awesome. Okay, well, look, we have, we have to look at wrapping things up, man. And I just wanted to ask you one question I ask everybody that I interviewed for the magazine, and, and that was pretty much, do you have any words of wisdom that you would, you would like to pass on or, or finish up on 
in final for everyone that's listening to this call? I would basically say that the impossible is possible. And if somebody tells you that you can't do something, it's the first thing that you should try to figure out if it's actually possible to do it without abandoning it. Whether that's starting a business when you're young or moving to a new place or overcoming an illness, never accept impossible as the first step. Wow. That's awesome, man. Nice and simple, straight to the point. And we really touched on that, the impossibility factor and and how you, you don't see anything as, you know, unachievable. So, yeah, look, it's just wanted to say it's been an absolute blast speaking with you, man. A lot of fun, a lot of fun. I, I learned a lot and I think people listening will learn a lot, especially about your, the tools that you use and, and the way that you approach life. So, yeah, thank you. Thank you for your time, man. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me on. Hey, guys, I hope you enjoyed this interview. As you might already know, our mission at Founder is to help tens of millions of people every single week with our content either start or grow their business, which is exactly why we're partnering with world-class founders such as Damon John, Alexa Von Tobel, Greta Van Riel, and so many more to teach crucial skills such as negotiation, finance, e-commerce, and so much more. So if you'd like to get access to these free exclusive trainings, please go to founder.com forward slash free. These are 100%. We go super in depth on teaching a particular topic, and I know that you're going to love them if you enjoy this podcast. So just go to founder.com forward slash free. All right, guys, I'll see you in the next episode.